can we open our Bibles again tonight to 1 Timothy chapter 3? Actually, this will be where we start as we continue to learn more about our ancient foe, the devil. We're learning about him because we must not remain ignorant about him or his wiles and methods that he uses to deceive us, to tempt us, and ultimately his goal is to render us powerless and useless in our walk with the Lord and in our service for the Lord. So far we've looked at the devices that the devil uses to ultimately to get us to question the Lord, to question his word. We've looked at the design that the devil has on us, the design as the ultimate accuser and adversary of God's people and of God himself. Remember, no matter what form he takes, whether he is the serpent that beguiled Eve or he is the dragon in the book of Revelation or he's an angel of light in between, no matter what form he takes, his function is always the same. He's always the devil, the accuser. He's always Satan, the adversary. Last Sunday, we looked at the dominion that the devil has over this world, as well as the dominion that he still has over our flesh. But since we as Christians are no longer his children or his captives, we must no longer give place to the devil. That is, no space, no time, no place in any area of our lives. Well, tonight we're going to look at the downfall of the devil. The downfall of the devil that is, how the devil himself fell to become the devil, as well as the snare and traps that the devil will use to try to get us to fall as well. Because here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, as the Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy about the qualifications of a bishop, it's described, a bishop in the church, which is really just another way to describe a pastor or an elder as the overseer of the church. And in verses 6 and 7 of this chapter, we find two qualifications that are meant to help guard those who would lead the church from the devil. But even though this is true of God's leaders, these servants of God, it's also true for any member of the church. And certainly what we learn here, the goal is for those that are able to qualify, to be qualified, and also become overseers, pastors, and elders. And that's why Paul writes there in verses 6 and 7 that a bishop, this overseer, is to be not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into condemnation of the devil. That is not a, a new believer, not a neophyte, as the word is. Moreover, this same bishop must have a good report, a good testimony of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of of the devil. Now the condemnation of the devil there in verse 6 does not refer to God's condemnation of the devil or God's judgment as it could be also be translated of the devil, but rather the devil's condemnation and judgment of us. The devil's judgment of God's people and especially God's leaders. Because when anyone in the church, whether that person is a leader or a member, is lifted up with pride, that gives the devil the opportunity and even the ammunition that he needs to bring shame and reproach on you, on the church, and on Jesus Christ himself. And the snare of the devil, there in verse 7, is really whatever trap he can use and set to get us to fall into sin 
and into his condemnation, his judgment, his shame, and his reproach. That's his part of his design. Remember, he's the accuser and adversary of God and his people. He doesn't want us to succeed. And so he will set any kind of trap, any kind of snare, in order to get us to fall into that, in order to bring reproach upon our name so that we lose that testimony. Whatever good witness, whatever good, good report we've had before, he wants to ruin that. We've heard all kinds of reports of people that have lost their testimonies in the church because of what went on outside the church. And that's something that he is pleased with. That's what the devil wants. But the snares of the devil are as diverse as the devices of the devil. And he can adapt those traps to each one of our deepest struggles. I remember uh, when we were living in upstate New York, uh, we lived right alongside the banks of the Susquehanna River. And where we lived, the bank was rather high and rather steep. Uh, I mean, it was probably about that kind of grade. And my brother and I tried to build wooden steps to go down, but even that didn't work very often. But one of the things that we've noticed as we were, you know, kind of as boys exploring there along the Susquehanna River was that people were laying out traps. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what kind of animals they were trying to get. I know woodchucks were rather popular for some reason, because probably because they would go and eat my mom's garden. But these traps were the kind that, you know, you pull back the metal bars, and in the middle there was the, the, was the, the set that the animal would hit, and of course the trap would slap shut on their legs or neck or whatever, you know. But as we would go through, we found all kinds of sizes of these traps, all kinds of shapes of these traps, but they all worked the same. You know, you had to be careful when you pulled those things back. Sometimes we saw them sprung, and we'd try to reset them. Some were very small to get those smaller animals. Some were larger. Uh, there was one that was so large, I thought they were trying to get a bear. But I thought, I hope there's no bear right here where I live, because that would be kind of scary. But that's what we have, different traps, different snares, different sizes for different kinds of prey. And that's what the devil seeks to do. His snares are as diverse as sinners there are in this world. But the basic mechanism of each trap, the basic set of each snare of the devil is exactly the same. And that snare is pride. Pride. It is pride that the devil will always use. It is pride that the devil will always seek to exploit to get any leader or any member of the body of Christ to fall into his condemnation, to fall into his reproach, and to fall into his snare. It's pride. I like how Charles Spurgeon once put it when he was preaching on the snare of the fowler. He says, Satan is able to adapt his bait accordingly. Oh, how often it happens, beloved, that you and I condemn a thing in another person which we allow in ourselves, perhaps without knowing it. We say of one, how proud he is. Well, our pride is not exactly of that shape. We have got another shaped pride, but the same article. Labeled a little differently, but the same thing. Satan adapts the pride to each particular case. Again, Satan adapts the pride to each particular case. There might be all kinds of snares that he uses, but that the very root of that, the very mechanism of that is pride. He wants us to get us to fall into pride. That's his snare. And the devil knows all about pride. Because as we find elsewhere in Scripture, pride was the devil's own downfall. Pride was his downfall. 
In the Old Testament, there are two kings who are addressed that possess the very nature and character of the devil himself. The first king was the king of Tyre. The king of Tyre. This is still a city in Lebanon today. And the king of Tyre is addressed in Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 11 through 19. You don't need to turn to this one. But even though this man was a real king, the king of Tyre, the words, as you read this address to him, the words seem to cross over from a human being to some spiritual being. Because it describes how he was even in Eden, the beginning of God's creation. And in Ezekiel 28, 17, this king of Tyre was told this, Thy heart was lifted up with pride because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. And there are many have looked at Exodus chapter 28 and saw not only the man, the king of Tyre, but also the prince behind the man, the prince of the power of the air, the devil himself, who again fell because his heart was lifted up with pride. Pride was the snare that the devil used to trap the king of Tyre as his captive. And pride was what the devil used for the king's downfall. And pride was no doubt the devil's downfall as well. But we can get a sense of the devil's pride when we look at the second king. And this is where we're going to spend most of our time tonight. So head back with me now to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. The second king is the king of Babylon. The king of Babylon. He's addressed particularly in Isaiah 14, verse 4, as the king of Babylon. But later on, as we're probably most familiar with, he's also called Lucifer, who is described as the son of morning. Lucifer simply means bright or light bearer, even. And even though this man was a real king in Isaiah 14, the words said about him just like the king of Tyre, also seemed to cross over from directing itself to a human being, but even to some spiritual being, perhaps even the devil himself. This understanding of Isaiah 14 was noted by some very early church leaders in church history, like Tertullian and Augustine and others. So that what we find is, as Matthew Henry once put it in Isaiah 14, the language of his vainglory, this, this king of Babylon's vainglory, this king of Babylon's pride, his language is borrowed, perhaps, from that of the angels who fell, who, not content with their first estate, where God had created them to be, and the post assigned to them, would even vie with God, and became not only independent of him, but sought to be equal with him. So here in Isaiah chapter 14, we're going to read these words from 11 through 15, verses 11 through 15, that are addressed to this king of Babylon. And he says this, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides, the uttermost parts of the north. I will send above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet, 
thou shalt be brought down to hell, even to the sides of the pit. So pride was the downfall of the king of Tyre. Pride was the downfall of the king of Babylon. And pride was the downfall and will be the downfall of the prince of these kings, the devil himself. As we read through verses 13 and 14, you notice that there are five eyes. Five eyes. And with each of these five eyes, there is an aspiration. There's an aspiration by this king, by this prince, to climb higher and higher and higher even as the builders of the Tower of Babylon in Genesis chapter 11 wanting to reach even up to heaven itself. And from the pride that is described here, we can understand more about the snare of pride that the devil will try to use for us as well. Because pride comes when you are not content with what God has for you, with what your Creator has given you with what your creator wants for you. Again, just like Matthew Henry described it, these were not content with their first estate. Pride will come when you're not content with what God, your creator, has for you. So the first thing that we learn from this is that pride can come when you're not content with your own purpose from God, your own purpose from God. Even as the king of Babylon there in verse 13, with the very first I, he is addressed, for thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. Now both the king of Babylon and the devil were the servants of God. We know this because that's why God created angels, to be ministering spirits, that is, servant spirits, to do whatever God wanted them to do. That's why he made them, to serve God and also to serve us, to serve man. And, of course, we know elsewhere in Scripture, especially Romans 13, that, that governments and kings, all those who are in authority, are given that from God in order to serve him. And so here we have the king of Babylon and the devil were originally servants of God. And though the devil at one time had already been in heaven, he was there in a different capacity. He was there to serve, not to be served. And so as God's servant, even the devil before he was the devil, would go wherever God wanted him to go, and he would do whatever God wanted him to do, even if it was here on earth. But he was not content with that purpose. He was not content with just merely being a servant of God. He wanted more. He wanted to ascend to heaven to stay there. He liked coming down here and doing what, the God, what God wanted him to do. He wanted to go up there and stay there, not as a servant to God, but as a sovereign like God. That was the downfall of the devil, and that's the snare that he wants to set in any, every one of our lives. This pride of purpose would be to his downfall. And we must not let his downfall become our downfall. Instead, we need to remember that pride will defile us because pride is sin. Pride will defile us because pride is sin. Even as we find in Proverbs 21, verse 4, which says, A high look and a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked is sin. Pride is sin. It defiles us. It changes us. It takes away from what is true and what is right in our lives. Because God has a purpose for each one of his children, but that purpose for us is still to be a servant. He is our creator. 
We are not. We are to be servants with our lives. We are not to be sovereign over our life. We are not to live independently of God. We are to live dependently of God. We need to beware of the snare of the devil and be content with God's purpose for our lives. However, second, from that second I statement, pride can also come when you're not content with your own position. Your own position from God. Even as this Lucifer there in verse 13 also says, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will exalt my throne. So both this Lucifer and the devil, maybe one and the same, had been given some kind of authority by God. Some kind of throne by God. But they wanted more. They wanted more. Isn't this the quest of the king of Tyre? Isn't this the quest of the king of Babylon? You know, if this is talking about Nebuchadnezzar, some might think that he was the king of Babylon referenced here before he came to know the Most High God. It might have been even his grandson Belshazzar who lost the kingdom of Babylon. But when you're an emperor, you want to have an empire to rule. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar did. He went from place to place, nation to nation, city to city, and just wreaked havoc. And that can be written in history time and time again because they're not content with the position that God gives to them. They're not content. In fact, here, Lucifer wanted more glory than even all the stars of God combined. Now, when you look up in the sky and you look at the stars that God created, you can't number them. I mean, even if you were able to count the ones that you can see with your naked eye, you know that there are vast quantities of stars elsewhere in this universe their entire constellations and their const entire galaxies that have millions and billions and trillions of stars out there. And if you were to take all of the stars, put them in together, and have one bright light, imagine how bright that would be. And that is what they wanted for themselves. These stars of God may also refer to all of the other angels in heaven and all of the light of heaven itself. This one wanted more. This one wanted more. He was not content with his position. And that pride would be their downfall. But again, we must not let his downfall become our downfall. Instead, we, instead we also need to remember that not only pride will pride defile us because it's sin, pride will even deceive us. Pride will even de deceive us. Sometimes we don't even know if we're proud or when we're proud. We need to pray that God will open our eyes to teach us humility and to show us our areas of pride. Pride will deceive us. Even as Obadiah the prophet wrote about the proud nation and the people of Edom. Of course, Edom was a perennial enemy of God's people. Edom was located south of the Dead Sea. And they were known for um, being in a wilderness place with all kinds of rock outcroppings and all kinds of cliff dwellings. And, and one of the, the, the features that made them such a proud country, you, you, you know, you go there today and you think, why would anybody want to live in this God-forsaken wilderness? Well, because they cornered the market on water. They were able to harness the water that would come from the rains, and they were able to put it in cisterns. And so anybody that was coming from the wilderness going out to Egypt or from Egypt out to you know, Iraq and some of those other places, they would need water on their journey, and there was Edom with all of this water, and they would sell it. And they were so proud. If you ever seen those pictures of, of, of Petra, you know, where you're you know, walking through these these valleys, and you're able to come out and, and see these 
amazing places that were hewn into stone itself. That was Edom. That was their doing. And they were proud. They were proud because they had all that water. They were proud because of all of their artistry and all their craftsmanship. They were proud because of all their wealth, all of the things that they had and they could do. But God tells them in Obadiah chapter 1, verse 3, that the pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Because where did they get their rain from? God. So ultimately, where did they get their money from? God. Where did they get their artistic and craftsman ability to be able to hew those stones? Ultimately, from God. The pride of thine heart, O Edom, hath deceived thee. Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? Pride is deceptive. And we need to pray that God will show us that pride and strip us of that pride. What position have you been given by the Lord? Or, another way to put it, what role have you been given by the Lord? Just by virtue of being a alive or being a wife or a husband or a mom or a dad or a grandparent? What role do you have in your family or what role even do you have in this church? We need to learn to use the role that God has given to us for the glory of God, no matter what it is, whatever position we have, to do our best and to be faithful and to learn to be content. Beware of the snare of pride thinking that you know better than God as to what your role and your gifts should be. But then from that third eye, pride can also come when you're not content with your own place from God. Your own place from God. Just like this son of mourning there in verse 13. He adds this third eye. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Now even though Mount Zion in Jerusalem, that is Temple Mount. That also is described as being in the sides of the north in Psalm 48, verse 2. This mount of the congregation in Isaiah 14 seems to be something not on earth, but rather something heavenly. Because the desire of this man, this, this king of Babylon, this Lucifer, this son of mourning, the desire of this man and his angelic counterpart wants to keep moving up. So as he reaches heaven, and he gets beyond the stars of heaven, he's not going to come back down to earth. He's wanting to keep going higher and higher and higher because it's pride. And so instead of this being an appointed place where God would meet with men on earth, more than likely this refers to the place where God would meet with a host of his angels in heaven. In fact, in ancient times, there was a belief by pagans that there was a mountain in the farthest regions of the north. Not a, not a mountain you could see with your eyes, but a mountain that if you kept going far enough, you'd eventually get there and see it. And it'd be so high, so powerful, because that's where the gods would meet and hold their court. So if this is a pagan, like Nebuchadnezzar, before he turned to Christ, or, before, or perhaps even Belshazzar, and, and realizing, boy, I want to get to where God is. I want to be worshipped by those hosts of, of people that are congregating around that mountain. This would describe the devil wanting to receive all the glory and worship that God alone deserved. So again, he was not content. Not content with the place that God put him. And again, that pride would be his downfall. We must not let his downfall be our downfall. Instead, we need to remember that not only will pride defile us and deceive us, 
Pride will also ultimately disgrace us. Pride is a shameful thing, and it leads to shame. How many times have people been proud, and yet someone comes and knocks them off their pedestal, right? And that pride turns to shame and reproach and disgrace. Proverbs 11.2 says, when pride comes, then comes shame. Oh, but with a lowly is wisdom. We need to re remember that with pride will come disgrace. Maybe not immediately. Maybe not in a week. But there is someone who is always going to take us off our pedestal. You know, sometimes we, we may wish that we were in a different place in our lives. And, and you can look at that geographically. Oh, I wish I lived there instead of here. I wish I had this house instead of that house. I, I, I wish I was on vacation instead of working. Or what about just the station in life, the, the first estate, or all of the estates that God has given you? You know, whether you're in the spring of your life, or, or the summer of your life, or even the, the fall, or even winter of your life. The place that God has put you. You see, like Paul... He says, in whatsoever state I am, he needed to learn to be content. And what is the basis of pride? Discontentment with even the place that God has put us. Beware of the snare of pride. Because pride can also come when you're not content with a fourth eye, with your own perspective of things. Your own perspective of God and from God. Again, here's the fourth eye. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. So you, you see the progress. He's wanting to get more and more and more. He's not content with the lowest rung. He wants to get to the next rung. He wants to get to the highest rung. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Now in Isaiah 19, we learn that the Lord alone is the one who rides on the clouds. The clouds belong to God. He created them. He's the one that rides upon them. We know that when Jesus returns, he's going to come back with them. And the clouds, in fact, are, are a very great picture of his own presence. But the devil was not content. He was not content to see God from below the clouds of his glory. He wanted to see God from above the clouds, which would make him even equal, where he could see him eye to eye. So even this, he would not be content with. You must not let his downfall become your downfall. Instead, we need to remember that not only will pride defile and deceive and disgrace you, pride will even divide. It will, it will divide your loyalties. It will divide God's people. It will even divide us from God himself. In Proverbs 13, verse 10, we're told, only by pride cometh contention. Only by pride cometh contention. But with a well-advised is wisdom. Look around you. Any contention, whether it is in a family or between families or between countries, you're going to find pride. Pride is there. As we saw this morning, we do need the desire to know God. But we need to remember the perspective that he gives us is below the clouds, not above them. We need to remember that his ways will always be higher than our ways and his thoughts than our thoughts. So we must ever beware of the snare of pride because pride can also come with that fifth eye with your own person, when you're not content with your own person. The last desire there in verse 14 of this 
king of Babylon, of this Lucifer, of the son of this of morning. He says, I will be like the most high. I will be like the most high. And yet, to be like the most high means that the most high is no longer the most high. Think about that. If you want to be like somebody, and you want to be like someone who is in the most exalted position of all, to be like him means that he is no longer the exalted one, which means that you're in control, you're in power, you become the most high. Ultimately, this is what he wanted. He wanted to be made like the most high so that he could become the most high himself. That is what all of these kings wanted. The king of Tyre, the king of Babylon, the prince of those kings, and they reveal to us the heart of the devil himself. We must not let their downfall become our downfall. Because not only will pride defile us and deceive us, disgrace us and divide us, pride will ultimately destroy us and destroy you. We're told this clearly in Proverbs 16.8. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is pride that would be the devil's downfall. And that's why in, in verse 15 of the same chapter, his end is foretold. Certainly this was foretold of the king of Babylon. Certainly it was presumed of the king of Tyre. But it's also foretold of the devil himself. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Again, the sides of the pit describe in the same way the sides of the north. It means the most extreme part of it. It's the very pit of hell. I mean, if you think of hell, you think of hell as a great big pit. And then there's a deeper place still. In the book of Revelation, we're going to be learning about the abyss. The abyss is the place of the Sheol. This, this is the, the place of hell. But then there's a pit of hell, which is the bottomless abyss. And so that's where his end will be. You see, since the devil is such a master of pride, he will seek to use it to trap and ensnare us, so that pride will be our downfall as well. Of course, there's another king, a king of Babylon. I mentioned him earlier. He learned this lesson, didn't he? Nebuchadnezzar, he learned it the hard way. He had to go around on all fours for seven years, you know, eating like an animal, like a beast. But he learned that instead of falling into the snare of the devil, he needed to, and we must, according to Daniel 4.37, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. We don't try to get up to him. Rather, we exalt him higher in our own hearts because he is the most high. We must praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride. He is able to abase. Pride was the devil's downfall. We must not let his downfall become our downfall. We must beware of the snare of the devil. Pride. Let's close in prayer. Gracious Father, I pray that you'll help us to assess our own hearts and our own lives, our own walk before you, to see, Lord, if we have fallen into the snare of the devil, especially the snare of pride. Where, Lord, we use these five eyes, maybe not to the same extreme or degree as the king of Babylon, this Lucifer, the son of morning. 
even the devil himself. And so, Father, I pray that we will see any of those elements in our lives, even if it's in the lowest rung of our life possible. I pray, O oh Lord, that you'll teach us humility. I pray, O oh Lord, that you'll teach us that we need to be utterly dependent on you and not independent from you. Help us, Lord, to realize that this is a snare for each one of us. And like Spurgeon said earlier, Lord, our pride may not take on the same form as someone else's. We might say that person is proud in one area, and yet we don't even know that we are proud in another area. Our pride takes different shapes and forms. It has different labels, but ultimately it's the same article. It's the same clothing. It's the same thing that the devil uses not only to snare us, but it's the same thing that he used to snare Eve when he said to her that they would be like gods. Oh, Father, we know that we cannot be like you in your highness. Lord, we do need to be like you in your holiness and in your righteousness, but we still know that we cannot obtain to that level of holiness and righteousness apart from you and certainly never like you because you are all holy. You are all righteous. You are all glory. And certainly, Lord, we want to share just a little part of that. But, Lord, though we must never be content in our quest and desire and our thirst for holiness and righteousness and, and wanting to live for you and be like you, yet, Lord, there are other areas in our life that we need to be content because you've put us in that place. You've given us that purpose. You've given us that perspective. And so, Father, I pray that we will see that estate, that position, that place that you put us in, Lord, that we will be content. Whatsoever state we are, help us, Lord, to be content. Because if we're not, Lord, we may fall into that condemnation of the devil. We may fall into that reproach and snare of the devil. But, Lord, we pray for your grace and strength so that we will resist pride and that, Lord, you ultimately would receive the exaltation that you are due in our lives. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.